Philippians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, this morning, um, I started to post uh, the sermon, the, the title of this sermon on Facebook, and uh, uh, this week, and I thought, oh, if I do, there's going to be just, uh, I'll have to deal with so many comments, so I want to share it with you. Uh, I said last week we would deal with single parenting, and, and so here's my, my sermon title. Uh, here it goes, There Are No Christian Single Parents. All right, so that's the sermon title. So some of you are wondering already where in the world and uh, are you going with this? Uh, just hang with me. We'll get there um, by the end. Paul here in Ephesians 6 deals with uh, parents and, and kids. And, and what you must understand is that Ephesians 6 hangs uh, uh, like, a, like a coat rack, you might say, on Ephesians 5.18. Ephesians 5.18 says this, that uh, we are to live in the Spirit. And as we live in the Spirit, we'll sing hymns and songs and spiritual songs and speak to one another as Spirit-filled people do. And then Paul deals with, after Ephesians 5.18, three relationships, husband with wife, parents and children, and uh, masters and servants. All of these are connected to walking by the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit. Now, his outline here in Ephesians 6 is very simple, and so I want to give it to you this morning, uh, this very simple outline. I can't improve on God's Word. God's Word is enough. So here's Paul's outline. He gives the who, he gives the what, and he gives the why. Who is involved? Uh, Verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children are addressed first because they are subordinate to their parents. You say, Jerry, big word, what does it mean? It means, parents, you are in charge, your kids are not. You are in charge, your kids are not in charge. And this begins when you bring them home from the hospital. You are in charge. Your kids are not. Children are mentioned first uh, because you are subordinate to. You are under mom and dad. And what is essentially lost in many homes today is is the reality that children are children and parents are parents. And so we can't assume that here. That's the who. Uh, what? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Let me deal with the word obey. It comes from a Greek word to hear under. It's a compound word in Greek, which means to hear under. It is the same word used to describe a porter. Uh, We're not very much familiar with that term these days, but a porter is someone whose job it was in a large home in Paul's day to answer the door. 
What does a porter do? All right, kids, hang with me on this. A porter waits and listens for someone to come to the door. And when someone comes to the door, rushes to the door and welcomes them in. All right, so kids, if if you are described as a porter or if your obedience is described as to hear under someone, do you know the image is this? Your parents speak, your ear is attentive, and as soon as they speak, you respond with, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. You are ready and willing to obey. Do you know what so often is the case? Kids, you are ready and willing to argue your point. Right? Mom says something. Dad says something. The first thing that comes to your mind is, "Ah, I'm not sure I want to do that. So you enter argue mode, right? You're going to make your case. Some of you could be uh, attorneys. You're so good at doing this. You've done it all your life. As soon as your parents speak, immediately what comes to your mind is... Nah, I'm not sure I want to do that. And this is what I'm going to do to prove to mom and dad or whoever's speaking to me that I don't want to do it. Children, obey. So, so obey is the first word and then honor is the second word. Honor your father and your mother. Obedience is the action. Honor is the attitude. Obedience is the action Honor is the attitude. To honor is to revere and respect. You can obey your parents begrudgingly, can't you? Any parent who's been a parent for any period of time knows that you've told your kid to do something and he or she stomps into the bedroom with a horrible attitude while obeying you. They are obeying in that moment, but they are not honoring you in that moment. Obedience and attitude come together to create together a child who is doing as he or she should. Now, why is attitude so important? Dishonoring will ultimately lead to disobedience. If you dishonor your parents, if in your mind and in your heart you do not respect your mom and your dad, you will ultimately disobey them. You cannot carry around the attitude of disrespect for a long time until that attitude surfaces in behavior. It's going to go there. Attitude is huge. Chuck Swindoll said this, words can never adequately convey the incredible impact of our attitude toward life. The longer I live, the more convinced I become that life is 10% what happens to us and 90% how we respond to it. He says, I believe the single most significant decision I can make on a day-to-day basis is my choice of attitude. It is more important than my past, my education, my bankroll, my successes or failures, fame or pain, what other people think of me or say about me, my circumstances or my position. Attitude keeps me going or cripples my progress. It alone fuels my fire or assaults my hope. When my attitude is right, there's no barrier too high, no valley too deep, no dream too extreme, no challenge too great for me. 
Attitude is huge. Attitude is bound up in the word honor. It's so significant. Parents, this is why, please hear me, you can never ever dismiss and let go a bad attitude in your child. You must address it every time. There are some actions, and if you deal with your kids' actions, every single one of them, you'll drive them crazy. But you must always address attitude. Always. It is never to be left untended to. Attitude is significant. Fanny Crosby, you may be familiar with her name. She wrote many hymns, many hymns. She became blind in childhood. Listen to her attitude. This is a poem she wrote when she was only eight years old. She entitled it, Blind But Happy. Oh, what a happy soul am I, although I cannot see. I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. To weep and sigh because I'm blind, I cannot and I won't. Attitude is huge. So the who is children so far. The what is obey and honor. Both. Why? John Stott's commentary on this is brilliant, so good. And so I'm going to borrow from him uh, here. Uh, He gives his verbiage for Paul's list of why children ought to obey their parents. First reason for this is right. And Stott calls that natural law. Natural law. He says, pagans taught this, Stoic philosophers taught this, Confucius emphasized this, virtually all civilizations have regarded the recognition of parental authority as indispensable to a stable society. I must say that I've been to Africa, I've been to Honduras, I've been to Nicaragua. In Africa, 95% Muslim. In Honduras, uh, Roman Catholic is the predominant religion. Same in Nicaragua. Do you know what I've discovered in every one of those cultures, however very different they are? Here's what I've discovered. Parents are in charge and kids obey and honor. It's natural law. And do you know, how many of you parents, you brought your kids home, did you get a manual? No. Right. You know, your cell phone comes now with a book this thick. You get a little bundle of joy. Well, good luck. Right? There are no manuals. But isn't it interesting that nobody has to tell you you're in charge? That nobody has to tell you it's a written natural law for parents to be in charge and for kids to listen. Paul alludes to this. Or, or, or says it explicitly in Romans 1, 28 through 32. The list in Romans 1 is profound. Paul says this, is the, this list is people who have a debased mind. Now listen to what he says about those with a debased mind. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. 
There are some things in this list that will surprise you. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. You would expect that. Envy, murder. Yes, those are debased people, but let's keep going. They are gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. Look at this. Disobedient to parents. Disobedient to parents. In the list. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them but give give approval to those who practice them. Please hear me. What Paul is saying is that a culture cannot adequately exist if these things are pervasive. These are connected to a debased mind. Parents, it's cute when they're three. It's catastrophic when they're 13. Oh, they're just doing their thing then don't be surprised when they do their thing when you can't see them. They're they're just being kids, okay? Then they'll be kids when they're 17 with a driver's license and you have no clue where they're going and what they're doing. Your kids' view of you will be directly connected to their view of God. It's natural law. Secondly, it is the first command given with a promise. It's God's law. What does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, they're going into the promised land, and the promised land abounds with people who are going to sin and do anything they want. And so what does God say? It's interesting. In the Ten Commandments, you get to this command. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. What does that mean? So does it mean if you honor mom and dad, you'll live a long time? No. There have been plenty of kids who have honored their parents. Some have died in teenage years. No, that doesn't mean that. Don't remove it from its context. What, does the con- what is the context? The context is the promised land, and it abounds with the Canaanites and the Perizzites and the Jebusites, all of these people who, who offer their own children up to gods, who uh, serve other gods, and what is essential to living long in that land is kids obeying parents. Why? Because kids could wander off and see these other people offering up sacrifices to other gods and go, ah, I think I'd like to do that. And all of a sudden, Israel has lost her identity. The nation is now, would, would now be just unraveled. So it is. Kids, if you're going to go into the land of high school and the land of middle school and honor God, it will be because you Obey your parents and honor them. It's God's design. It's God's law. When Hannah, our daughter, was in sixth grade, uh, her, her uh, class went, uh, sixth grade, all the sixth grade went up to uh, Washington. There was a page who was working for a senator who gave us a tour of the Capitol building. Uh, I'll never forget standing there looking down on that desk when you watch a State of the Union address or you see the Speaker of the House. That's, I'm looking down onto what is on television. 
And that page looked at us and said, I want you to look around the perimeter here. You will see the profiles of really important thinkers. And these profiles go all around the perimeter. As a matter of fact, there is a picture of those profiles of some of them. And so all around, right up at the roof are these uh, profiles. But there is one person who isn't a profile. It's a full front face. You see him, two over from the top. That page looked at us and said, that is Moses. He said, when the speaker of the house or the president stands down there and looks straight up, he will look at all of these uh, profiles looking to one man. And the one man they're looking to is Moses. Somebody said, why? He said, because when this was done in this house, it was the belief that all laws traced their roots to the Ten Commandments. That you couldn't do any better than the Ten Commandments and that all law came from them. And so Moses, full face. Incidentally, if you go do your homework, you'll discover that this was done in 1949, 1950, when that very room was renovated. That was added then. Fascinating, isn't it? That's what Paul is saying. Not only is it natural law, it just makes sense. It's God's law. God says, that's how it is to be. That it may go well with you. And then thirdly, it's the gospel. In the Lord. Paul says, do it in the Lord. Now let me read for you what Stott has said. Because it it, it just makes great sense. But hang with me. He says, what has changed relates to the ravages of the fall. For the family life which God created at the beginning and pronounced to be good was spoiled by human rebellion and selfishness. Relationships fell apart. Society was fractured. Love was twisted into lust and authority into oppression. But now... In the Lord, by his reconciling work, God's new society has begun, continuous with the old in the fact of family life, but discontinuous in its quality. All right, so what is Stott trying to say? When you, as a family, get this, all right? Kids, listen. When you obey your parents in the Lord... You, without realizing it, are preaching the gospel. You say, what do you mean? Well, Christ came as the reconciler. All right? He came to reconcile, which is to bring one person into relationship with another. So on the cross, he reached across the chasm and took the hand of God and put the hand of God into, or the hand of man into the hand of God, making us one in Christ by his forgiveness of our sins. And Paul says at another place, gave us the ministry of what? reconciliation so now parents to you when you raise your children to obey you and to honor you and you create this environment in your home of obedience and honor you become ministers of reconciliation you say how do people see this at work i've seen this happen for years do you know what i've seen 
When I did youth ministry for years, the home that models this is where all the kids want to be. It's so fascinating. It's where all the kids, they want to go there. Why? There's a dad in charge and a mom in charge and there are kids who hear under, who obey. And guess what? The other kids are like, I want to see that. I want to be in that. Why? Reconciliation is happening there. The gospel is being proclaimed by the very, very way they live their lives. I'm reading a book right now. It's a fiction book, but written by, uh, by a judge out of Kentucky who presided over family court. And this judge talks about in here how what divorce creates, what parents who have children without being married, what it creates, what happens to the children. Years and years and years of seeing these kids pass through and seeing the books called Irretrievably Broken, seeing these couples pass through in a no-fault divorce state and just seeing divorce after divorce after divorce and then seeing those kids come right back into his courtroom again, dealing with the effects of that. That's the ravages of the fall. That's the ravages of the fall. God is a God of reconciliation. So kids, when you obey mom, you obey dad. You live out the gospel. You say, Jerry, what is the gospel? I'm reading this book right now by J.D. Greer called Gospel. It's really good. And the first part of the book is an intro, and the last part of the book is unfolding this thing he calls the gospel prayer. Our family has kind of been all over the place this week because of Gogo's uh, uh, surgery. And uh, so last night I texted them and said to them, um, this week I want us to sit down as a family and talk about these four things. Here they are. Number one, in Christ, there is nothing I can do that would make you love me more. This is a prayer to God, uh, J.D. Greer says. And nothing I have done that makes you love me less. Wow. In Christ, there is nothing I can do that would make you love me more. And nothing I have done that makes you love me less. Number two, the second part of the prayer, your presence and approval, God, are all I need for everlasting joy. Number three. As you have been to me, so I will be to others. I love number four. As I pray, I'll measure your compassion by the cross and your power by the resurrection. Wow. As I pray, I'll measure your compassion by the cross and your power by the resurrection. So when you're a gospel-centered family, you begin to live this out. It's powerful. So kids, you're saying, well, all right, you've, you've told us, how about dads? Paul does something completely countercultural here. He goes now to dads and he says, fathers. Now, in many places in scripture, this could be understood as fathers and mothers, but not here. It is to fathers only. Why? Because in the Roman culture, a father had complete and total control over his children. 
This was their custom. This was their law. The father could enslave his children. He could beat his children. He could uh, deny a child if he didn't want that child at birth. He could uh, uh, have his children put to death for whatever reasons he chose. That never went away. Let's say you grew up in that culture, you grew up and you became a magistrate and that father walked into your courtroom where you served as a magistrate, immediately your authority was diminished. When he walked in, he's in charge of you still. So so listen how the gospel changes everything. God speaks into that authoritarian, authoritarian mindset for dads and says this, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not provoke your children to anger. What does that mean? Don't, don't unnecessarily make them angry. Don't exasperate them. If you read Paul's counter in Colossians 3, the reason he says in Colossians 3 not to provoke your children to anger is lest they become discouraged. So, so dads, Paul is saying the gospel changes everything. But do what? Then the word he uses is unreal. Bring them up. And that word bring up means to nourish to maturity. So he looks at dads who could be so super stern and, and has to have total control and says, I want you to do some nourishing. How? In the discipline and instruction. What is discipline? Uh, discipline could be both verbal and physical, right? Uh, Andy Taylor got it, didn't he? Right? Woodshed in the back. So that's discipline. But instruction is an interesting word. It's the word thesis in the Greek. If you've ever heard the phrase nuthetic counseling, this is one of the places where it originates. What does it mean? Here's what it means. It means to take God's word and apply it to a situation in your kid's life. That's what it means. So what does this mean? Listen to me. It means Dr. Phil is not the expert on how to parent your kids. All right? It's not Dr. Phil. It's not Oprah. It's definitely not The View. God is. His word is our guidebook for parenting. And so your kids will face situations and, and hopefully when you pick them up from school and they've done that, a verse of scripture comes to your mind, right? You, well, I think this is what God has to say about this. And you begin to apply, to apply, to apply God's word. Discipline and instruction of who? The Lord. So there's in the Lord, kids, you obey, and the discipline is of the Lord, What does that mean? The father's training is not man-centered as it was in Roman culture or Greek culture. It it is not law-centered as it was in Jewish culture, but it's Christ-centered. Now, some of you are thinking, well, Jerry, what do you mean that there are no Christian single parents? I'm going to give you a quote in just a moment by Stott that will bring it full circle. There are many of you sitting here today, or some of you sitting here today, And with situations beyond your control, you are a single parent. And what Satan loves to do is push the rewind button 
and hammer you all the time. He's good at that. He is the accuser. That's what he loves to do. There are some of you in here today, and the reason your kids bounce back and forth is your fault. And you've sought God's forgiveness for that, and it's water under the bridge. And what Satan loves to do is to push the rewind button and to say, look at you, look what you did, look what you created. He loves to do that. He loves to rip you to shreds, to tear you apart. And there are some of you in here today who may be right in the middle of it, and this is a sober call to repentance. But here's what I want to say to you. Just what John Stott said, but I think it means more than this. He's talking about of the Lord, namely, that behind the parents who teach and discipline their children, there stands the Lord himself. So listen, single mom, you've never not once parented your daughter alone when you parent her in the Lord because right behind you is Christ himself. Amen? Listen, single dad, not for a moment. Not for a moment have you parented your son or your daughter alone. And for those of us who are doing it together, same here. We've never parented solo. When you parent of the Lord, there stands the Lord himself. There stands the Lord himself. And this must become your prayer. In Christ, there is nothing I can do, God, that would make you love me more. And nothing I've done, God, that makes you love me less. That's a gospel-centered parent. God, your presence and approval are all I need for everlasting joy. Not walking in here and seeing couples that you find to be ideal and thinking, I wished I was. No, no. God's presence and approval are all you'll ever need for everlasting joy. Three, as you have been to me, God, I will be to others, especially my children. Number four, as I pray. I'll measure, Father, your compassion by the cross and your power by the resurrection. When you parent like that, there's an unseen parent tucking your kids in at night. There's an unseen parent watching as they sleep. There is an unseen parent who's been to middle school more than you'll ever go to middle school. Who's moved into a college dorm more than you ever will move into a college dorm. Amen, parents? There's an unseen parent. There are no Christian single parents. Praise God. Praise God. 